Welcome to Branch Pod, where we believe that growing a relationship with Jesus Christ is about your everyday, not just your Sunday. I'm your host, Christina Bontrager, and for the next 13 weeks, we'll be diving deeper into our Sunday series through the Book of Esther, through a variety of interviews, reflections, spiritual practices, and stories to help us bring the book to life outside of Sunday mornings. This week, I wanted to share a story with you that reminded me of both the potential for impact and also the potential for tragedy as we wrap up our series in the book of Esther. Hey, Branch family, this is Christina here today, and I wanted to share with you a story that I was reading from a little book called Theirs is the Kingdom, Celebrating the Gospel in Urban America, and it's written by an author named Robert Lupton, who spent most of his life doing ministry in the inner city, so not unlike our context here in Chicago. And as I was reading his story, uh, it's a, a collection of stories from his time in ministry, I was reminded of the potential we have as we wrap up our series in Esther to allow it to change our lives, to deeply impact us, and also the potential for tragedy if we don't allow that to happen. So he writes in one of his chapters the following story from his time in ministry. He says of him and his wife, our greatest concern when we moved to the city was for our children. Any parent will understand this immediately. Peggy said it felt similar to the call God gave Abraham to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice, a terrible thing for a loving God to require of a parent. Yet at the deepest level, we both knew God loved our boys more than we did and had their best interests at heart. Our greatest challenge came the day we enrolled Jeffrey, age 10, and Jonathan, age 6, in the local elementary school. Some of our friends urged us to put them in a Christian school to counteract the environment of the inner city. But we knew we were less likely to be involved in the public schools if our own children did not attend there. And the children of those we wanted to serve attended public schools. How could we authentically share the burdens of the poor if we allowed our privilege to insulate us from the hard parts? So with much fear, we walked our boys down the street and turned up the steps of the worn old school building. We were greeted by the principal, smiling broadly, hands outstretched. He seemed ecstatic that another middle-class family was enrolling children in his school. When we asked if we could spend time in our boys' classrooms and bring other Christians to volunteer as well, he responded, do anything you want. Take the kids down to the church and tutor them if you like. We need all the help we can get. In the next few years, both of us, but especially Peggy, spent a great deal of time tutoring and assisting in the classrooms. A number of friends came from around the city to spend mornings and lunch hours with the children who needed special attention. A school teacher volunteered to work with problem children and eventually joined our staff so she could commit herself full-time to working with non-readers in the fourth and fifth grades. And she did bring the children down to the church to tutor them. The following year, several other parents with strong educational values enrolled their children in the school. The revised interest in the school was encouraging to teachers. With assistance from committed partners and volunteers, they began to make significant headway in the task of educating their students. Gifts from concerned Christians enabled the teachers to start a summer tutoring and recreation program, especially for children of low-income working parents. Children who usually slipped further behind each year and who otherwise would be left on the street all summer acquired a healthy head start on the new school year. 
Four years later, when the children of Slatton Elementary School took the California Achievement Test, a national standardized test, parents and teachers were alike, alike were overwhelmed at the result. The average test score was in the 72nd percentile, an increase of more than 40 percentage points. That meant the average child in this school, where most children came from poor minority families, was receiving an education surpassing 71% of the school children in the rest of the country. We were amazed at how little leaven it took to cause a whole loaf to rise. We were grateful to those who made themselves available to be used as good leaven. And we thank God for quieting the anxiety of our hearts and providing quality nourishment for the minds and spirits of all the children in our community. Now, when Robert Lupton references the word leaven in this story, he's talking about yeast. And for those of you who didn't get into the bread baking trend during the pandemic, yeast is the ingredient in bread that allows the bread to rise so that when we pick up a loaf of bread, it doesn't look like a pancake. It looks more like the traditional loaf we're used to seeing. And Jesus references the the item yeast and leaven quite a bit when he's teaching in his parables because it was a common substance that almost everybody he spoke with knew about. They didn't have the ability to go to grocery stores and buy a loaf of bread, so many of them were used to getting up every day and using yeast, using leaven, to make bread. Now, I did get into the bread baking trend during the pandemic, and I quickly learned a couple important things that are true of yeast when you're working with it, three in particular that always stuck out to me. The first is that you need a very small amount to create the rise you're looking for in your bread. It's always amazed me that I can put such a tiny amount of this substance in with so much flour and water and oil and salt, and that is all it takes to make the whole loaf rise. And when Jesus talks about the yeast of the kingdom of God, he uses it in a similar way that he talks about faith the size of a mustard seed. There's moments in our lives where we think that we need faith that looks like a particular person whose faith we admire. That we need a Moses moment where we can part the Red Sea. That we need a David moment where we literally take down a giant. But the reality is that our faith is often more like yeast. It's not in the big acts or the huge miracles. It's in the daily steps of faith where each day we choose to live in light of trusting our God and believing that he's at work even when we can't necessarily see it or recognize it as such. In Robert's story, that's what makes the difference. It's that they choose to overcome any fear or anxiety they have and year after year, day after day, continue to take steps of faith, believing that this is how the kingdom comes about. The second thing I learned about yeast is that you can't undo it once you've put it in. You have to pay attention to what you're doing from the very beginning, because if you put too much yeast in, there's no scooping it out or separating it. As soon as it lands in with the water and other ingredients, the chemical reaction begins, and it's fundamentally altered. It's fundamentally mixed in, and it begins to transform the bread. The kingdom of God acts in a very similar way, and it's one of the reasons that Jesus makes all the difference. We believe that when you encounter Jesus and when you see God at work in your life, 
you begin to see transformation. That when the kingdom of God comes about, it really is the light of the world because places that once were dark no longer are. And this is also why Jesus says that it's possible to have the yeast of the Pharisees in your life. That there's, it's possible to be transformed instead by the hypocrites or the things of this world that we would allow to mix into our lives in place of the kingdom. One of the greatest tragedies to me of this series we've been in, walking through the book of Esther, reminding ourselves that God is faithful and he is at work even when he seems absent, would be to end the series and not allow it to transform our lives. To walk away from all that we have learned and all that God has reminded us of through Esther's story, through Mordecai's story, through the story of their people and how God saved them, and to go back and allow others to tell us who has the ultimate authority in our lives. To allow the things that this world prioritizes to take precedent when we're in moments of sadness or hardship, when we're wailing like Mordecai to believe those who would say that our God is not listening any longer. But the opportunity and reminder of yeast is that there is the ability of Jesus to transform us inside out. And finally, and the thing I dislike most about working with yeast and bread is that it takes a lot of time and it makes a huge mess. And that's the reason it was a great pandemic hobby, because everybody suddenly had the time to sit around and make bread and clean up the mess afterward. But it does. You not only have to spend time kneading the dough, which gets all over your counter and your fingers, and heaven forbid you're wearing any rings on your fingers, it's never coming out of there. But then you have to allow several hours for the bread to rise. You have to shape the bread and allow it to rise again to hold its shape. And then you have to bake it. And only after all of those hours and all of that time and all of that mess do you finally reach the end product. And depending on the bread, this whole process can take several days. And it makes you wonder, is it even worth it to make this final product? And we've talked about this in our series in Esther. This is what Robert is talking about when he's saying it didn't just take a month of being in these schools. It took four years to start to see the impact of their labors. But the call of the kingdom of God is not one where we have instant gratification like this world promises to give us. It is the call of who has the ultimate victory. And as we watch Esther and Mordecai's story unfold, we see the wailing. We see them crying out to God and asking for deliverance, asking for rescue. And it's not till the end of the story that we see the way God provided. And I have to wonder about all those moments in that year leading up to the point when the Jews would be able to, to fight back against the edict that was originally promising their destruction, I have to wonder how many times they wondered what was really going to happen. If God really would rescue them, if he really would prove to be faithful. But the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God and the promise of Jesus is that we know how the story ends. And we don't walk through the trials or hardships of this life as though we don't know where the ultimate victory is. 
the greatest opportunity before us coming out of Esther. We have one more Sunday where we're in the book of Esther. And the greatest opportunity is to actually exit this series as people who trust that God is working, that his providence is at work, even when he seems absent, and to live differently in light of that. And the greatest tragedy, in my opinion, would be if we don't live in light of that. My prayer for everyone listening today and for all of us is that regardless of what circumstances you're heading out into when this podcast is done and when you exit your car or wherever you're listening, is that we would be reminded daily that God's absence points to his providence. And that because of that, it doesn't just stop there, that we actually get to be the yeast of the kingdom of God and the light of the world in a very dark place by trusting in God's faithfulness and allowing it to move us into action. To learn more about The Branch and how to get connected, head to brch.org for upcoming events and to listen to past messages. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Branch Pod, and we'll see you next week.